Section 25 of the McDermott's of Ballycloran. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. The McDermott's of Ballycloran by Anthony Trollope. Section 25 The Races, Part 1 although we have hitherto only seen usher as a guest at ballycloran or figuring as a lion at mary brady's wedding he was nevertheless in the habit of frequenting much better society and was not unfrequently a guest at the houses of certain gentlemen in the neighborhood of carrick on shannon for usher could assume the manners of a gentleman when he chose and moreover be a lively and agreeable companion and this perhaps quite as much as the attribute made him somewhat of a favorite among many of the surrounding gentry he was however more intimate at brown hall than at any other house and he had now been asked over there to spend a few days previous to his final departure from county leitrim the establishment at brown hall consisted of jonas brown the father an irritable overbearing magistrate a greedy landlord and an unprincipled father and his two sons who had both been brought up to consider sport their only business horses and dogs their only care grooms and trainers the only persons worthy of attention and the mysteries of the field and the stable the only pursuits which were fit to be cultivated with industry or learnt with precision they could read as was sufficiently testified by their intimate knowledge of the information contained in nimrod upon horses and the veterinary magazine and the clerk of the course at the cura could prove that they could write by the many scrawls he had received from them entering horses and giving their particulars as to age color breeding qualifications etc but beyond this they had no acquirements for the elder son who was only intended to be a landlord and a magistrate and to spend about a thousand a year this did not signify but for the younger it afforded but a melancholy prospect had his eyes been open to see it for the estate which was all set at a rack rate was strictly entailed and as jonas had always lived beyond his income there would be little to leave a younger son when their mother had died the two young men together with a sister had been left to the father's care she also had learnt to ride and ride hard to go to the stable and see that her own horse was made up and to rate her groom in no gentle terms if things in that department were not as they should be she also could be eloquent on thrush sand cracks and overreaches could detect a splint or a spaven at a glance knew all the parts and portions and joints of a horse much more accurately than she did of a sheep and was a thorough judge of condition rumour also not unfrequently hinted among the tabbies of Carrick-on-Shannon, that Miss Julia could not only ride with her brothers in the morning, but that she was also occasionally not ill-inclined to drink with them of an evening. Things were in this state when it occurred to Jonas and his favorite son Fred that it were well for all parties if they could get Miss Julia off from Brown Hall, as there was reason to fear she was coming out a little too fast and that if they did not get rid of her now she might in a short time be a card somewhat hard to play they consequently invited a squireine of three or four hundred a year to the house who had rather unequivocally expressed his admiration for di vernon and under the fostering auspices of father and brother the two soon made up matters together 
though the lady was unable to follow her prototype's example by wooing her lover over the pages of dante however though dante was wanting opportunity was not which for one so well inclined as miss julia was sufficient and before the young gentleman had been three weeks in the house fred was enabled to hint to him one day as he was pulling off his boots before dinner that of course he presumed his intentions to his sister were honorable and explicit now that things had gone so far toby armstrong for such was the name of di vernon's admirer not relishing pistols and coffee made no objection to the young lady but he absolutely refused to take her empty-handed and in consequence jonas and fred had to hand him over their joint bond for two thousand pounds before he would be induced to make her mistress of castle armstrong there she now reigned supreme and it is to be hoped for the sake of the future generation that she had by this time learnt to transfer her attention from the stable to the nursery the browns were at any rate quit of the young lady and had brown hall now wholly to themselves and this was a satisfaction still the hundred a year which they had to pay their dear brother-in-law toby was a great loss to them and made it more improbable that when the old man should be gathered to his fathers george should have anything to subsist on except his brother's affection and bounty as fred inherited all of his father's love of money joined to an irresistible passion for everything that he called pleasure and as he was already continually quarrelling with his younger brother who was as continually impertinent to him george's prospect in life was not particularly bright as to turning his mind to any useful pursuit studying for any profession or endeavouring in any way to earn his own bread honestly he would have been as angered and felt as insulted by such a proposition as though any one had asked him to turn cobbler and sit cross-legged at the window of one of the little shops at carrick on shannon as however he at present had food to eat wine to drink horses to ride and usually cash to bet with he concerned himself but little for the future and we therefore may be fairly equally apathetic respecting it it would not however be difficult to foretell his fate should he not break his neck before his father's death he will quarrel with and slander his brother he will ride for those who are young and green enough to trust their horses to him and pay him for mounting them he will sponge upon all his acquaintance till he is turned out of their houses he will be a hanger-on at the curra and all race-courses he will finally become a blackleg and swindler and will die in the marshalsea if he does not as he most probably will break his neck by a fall from the saddle for to the last george will preserve his pluck the only quality on which he could ever pride himself on the morning of the races the two brothers and usher were sitting over a very late breakfast at brown hall the father had long since been out careful to see that he got the full twelve hours work from the unfortunate men whom he had hired at five pence a day and who had out of that to feed themselves and families and pay their rent we will not talk about clothing them it would be a mockery to call the rags with which the laboring poor in that part of the country are partially covered clothes or to attach value to them though i suppose they must once have cost something why what nonsense usher said fred to be sending that mare of yours down to munster she'd never be fast enough for that country not the thing at all for tipperary fences all gaps and breaks besides the expense of sending her and the chances that she's lamed on the road you better let me have her she's only fit for this country i tell you what i'll do i'll give you the horse and gig you're to take that girl of yours to longford in to-morrow for her 
hush man for god's sake if the servants hear you talking that way i'm dished if it once got abroad about my taking her off i'd had the devil to pay before i got out of the country i believe usher thinks said george no one ran away with a girl before himself why if you were going to seize a dozen stills you couldn't make more row about it i shouldn't make any about that for it would come natural to me and i'd a deal sooner be doing that than what i have to do to-morrow night i'm damned but i'd sooner take a score of freeze coats with only five or six of my own men to back me than drive twenty miles in a gig with a squalling girl if you're sick of the job i'll take her off your hands said the good-natured fred thank ye no as i've got so far with it i believe i'll go on now well if you won't take a kind offer about the girl will you take the one i made about the mare to tell the truth i'd sooner have the mare than the girl myself thank ye no i believe i'll keep both i'll tell you what i'll do said fred getting anxious in his hankering after the mare i'll throw the harness into the bargain spick and span new from hamilton's i paid eight pound ten for it not a month since all the new fashion brass fittings and brass hanes you could have the crests taken out and new ones put in for a few shillings only send me down the old ones what would i do with a gig and a horse besides the gigs shook the shafts are all loose and the boxes are battered and the horse was saying his prayers lately by the look of his knees never down in his life by god said george willing to help his brother in a matter of horse flesh it's only a knock he got when i was trying to put him over the little wall beyond the lawn there but i couldn't make the brute jump though he's the sweetest horse in harness i ever sat behind usher was not to be done and fred consoled himself by assuring him that he'd be sorry for it when he found the mare was not the least use in life down in munster and that no one would give him a twenty-pound note for her a drag now came round to the door george was making his toilet before the fire having eaten about half an ounce of dry toast after his morning exercise under the three great coats he was adjusting his boots and breeches and george was not a little proud of his appearance in his riding costume the jacket and cap were carried loose and after many exclamations from fred that they would be late and that as he had backed conqueror it was a shame for his brother to give the stewards the chance of starting the horses without him which were answered by rejoinders from george that they wouldn't dare to do so showing that he didn't care how much all the rest might be inconvenienced by his delay so long as he didn't suffer himself the three got into the conveyance at the door about an hour after the time at which the horses were advertised to start punctually and fred drove them to the course which was not above a mile distant i cannot say that the ground displayed much that was elegant in the way of equipages or anything very refined in the countenances belonging to the race-course the weighing-stand consisted of the scales in which potatoes and oats were usually weighed in the market-place in carrick and were borrowed from the municipality for the occasion the judge's chair was formed of a somewhat more than ordinary high stool with a kind of handle sticking up at one corner by holding on to which he was barely able to keep his place so constantly were the mob pressing round him there was a stand from which a tolerable view of the race could be obtained admission one shilling but few ascended it and long before the start the price had fallen to sixpence there were two or three carriages one containing councillor webb's family he himself was one of the stewards and consequently appeared on horseback in a red coat another belonged to sir michael gibson who owned the greater part of the town 
and who drawing about six thousand a year from this county and the next had given ten pounds to be run for by farmers horses contriving thereby to show them that he thought they ought to indulge in expensive amusements and to stimulate them to idleness and gambling as however the land in the country was chiefly let in patches under twenty acres each and to men who were unable to feed the sorry beast necessary to keep them in tillage sir michael's generosity had not the effect which it might be presumed to cause and his ten pound was annually won by some large tenant who might call himself a farmer but who would make a desperate noise if another man presumed to call him anything but a gentleman of cars there were plenty crowded with pretty faces all evidently intending to be pleased not invariably however for there was mrs keegan in one of those altogether abominable affairs called inside cars not because you had any of the comforts of an inside place in case of rain for they had no covering but because the inmates sitting on each side have full power to kick each other's shins and no liberty to stretch their legs there she sat alone as sour as at the moment when she had first seen her hyacinth as he was deposited by the hotel waiter on the mat inside her hall door she looked little as if she was there for amusement and in truth she was not after a time hyacinth had come to himself and by dint of continual scolding much soda-water and various levations he had enabled himself to make a very sickly appearance on horseback but the wife of his bosom was determined that he should not escape from thence to another ordinary or even to any hospitable table where he might get drunk for nothing and consequently she was there to watch him there was but one other there that did not seem bent on enjoyment and this was poor Feemy there she was sitting on the same side of the car with liddy mckeon and the good-natured mother had taken care that this should be the side facing the horses but Feemy took no interest in them she had given over crying and sobbing but she was silent and apparently sullen and would much have preferred her own little room at ballycloran there were to be three races had there been a prospect of thirty and among them a trial of speed between all the favorites of the derby there could not have been a greater crowd or more anxiety every ragged barefooted boy there knew the names of each horse and to whom he belonged and believed in the invincibility of some favorite beast probably from attachment to its owner and were as anxious as if the animals were their own among this set mckeon or little larry kelly were booked to win they were kind friendly masters and these judges thought that kind men ought to have winning horses sure thin said one half-naked urchin stuck up in a small tree growing just out of one of the banks over which the horses were to pass sure thin playful's an intelligent swate based entirely i'll go bail there's nothing'll come nigh her this day that tony may win the day then said another it's he is the fine sportsman bedad you're both out said a third squatting as close on the bank as the men would let him it's mr larry'll win god bless him and no one but him and he the weight all wid him and why not there's none of em in the country so good as the kellys hurroo for the kellys them's the boys they do say said the second speaker who was only halfway up the tree that conqueror'll win by jesus avy do won't young brown be going it is it conqueror said the higher and more sanguine votary of mckeon is it the brown hall horse he can't win i tell you i saw him as paddy kane was leading him down and he didn't look like winning he hasn't got it in him that he may fall at the first lap and never stir again tony'll win boys hurroo for tony mckeon 
the weighing was now accomplished and jockeys mounted major macdonnell had to look after this part of the business of which he knew as much as he did of arabic however he was shoved about unmercifully for half an hour had his toes awfully trodden on for he was told he should dismount to see the weighing narrowly escaped a half hundredweight which was dropped within three inches of his foot and did i dare say as much good as stewards usually do on such occasions councillor webb was to start them and though a councillor he was an old hand at the work he always started the horses at the carrick races and usually one of his own among the lot the councillor by the by was a great favourite with all parties and what was more he was a good man and a gentleman major longsword from boyle was the third steward and he like his military colleague was rather out of his element he was desired to keep the populace back and preserve the course but it seemed to major longsword that the populace didn't care a button for him in his red coat and though he valiantly attempted to ride in among men women and children he couldn't move them they merely pushed the horse back with their hands and the brute frightened by their numbers wouldn't go on they screamed ara sir go assay sure you're on my foot musha thin can't you be quiet with the big horse facts i'm murdered with you sir is you going to ride over us sure your honor won't you go over there look how the boys is pressing in there the major soon saw he could do no good so he rode out of the crowd mentally determining that the jockeys might if they could clear the course for themselves and now they were off at least seven of them for when the important morning came the captain had in vain used every exertion to get a rider for kicky wicky his ambition had at first soared so high that he had determined to let no one but a gentleman jockey mount her but gradually his hopes declined and at the ordinary he was making fruitless inquiries respecting some proper person but in vain and now he had been from twelve to one searching for any groom in possession of the necessary toggery he would have let the veriest tailor in carrick get on his mare if he had merely been legitimately dressed really his exertions and his misery were distressing for at last he was obliged to send her back to boyle after having paid the stakes and the stable charges for her and console himself by telling his friends that the gentleman from galway who was to ride for him had deceived him and that he could not possibly have put anyone he did not know upon kicky wicky end of section twenty five the races part one